All right, guys. Hey, what's going on? My name is Chris Akes, and this is your best life defined. Hey, I hope your week's going well. I'm on a roll right now. I think this is my uh, fourth podcast, and I'm going to just try and keep it going. I also wanted to remind you that I'm I'm videotaping these in case you're not interested in listening to them and you want to actually see me, which would be cool as hell, but probably not. I don't know. I'm looking pretty rough these days. But hey, I wanted to talk about my experiences as a prison guard and uh, working in a federal prison. Um, kind of off the beat. I imagine there's some sort of message in here somewhere. I'll get to at some point, but for now, um, so I used to work as a deputy sheriff and then I had been commuting for about nine years. It was a two hour commute, a little over two hours a day. And the federal prison opened up about 14 miles from our house. And, you know, that was an opportunity for me. It would save me a lot of time. And, and, and that was really all I was concerned about when I actually applied to the federal prison. I didn't even take the time to try and see if it was really beneficial financially. I, I mean, I compared the money and it was the same, but I never looked beyond that. All I knew was that I was tired of driving. So I applied to the federal prison. And what was interesting or what was funny about that, I guess, is that how this is how I guess is how ill-prepared I was. So I had a background in construction and I had been doing construction and working on my own house and I knew a lot about construction. But instead of applying to the federal prison as a maintenance supervisor, where you supervise an inmate crew going around repairing stuff, which would have been a Monday through Friday job, 7 to 3.30, weekends and holidays off, I applied as a correctional officer. Well, I got the job. And, you know, we were, the prison that I was working at, it was a brand new prison. It's called FCI Florence, if you're interested in looking it up on the internet or anything. And it's it's on the same complex as the, the super max of the Rockies, okay? And, um, but I worked there, uh, I guess I'd worked there about three years. And we'd had our issues, I mean, new inmates coming in, There's because the, we didn't have a single inmate when we first went to work there. And as the inmates started coming in, you start having problems and you start seeing weaknesses in your in your systems and your policies based on the unique situations of, of that particular institution. But so I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I was working evening shift, which is three thirty to, to midnight or four to midnight, but we usually show up on shift about three thirty. But a couple guys had called in sick, so instead of me working in recreation where I was supposed to be working, I ended up working in one of the housing units. Now, if you can picture it, the housing unit is like a triangle, and there's two on each side, and then there's a hallway that connects them, and each housing unit has its own exterior entrance as well. And if you go into that hallway, that's where all the all the support staff are. That's where the uh, counselors and the case managers and the unit managers are. And these people take care of all of the functions of calculating time and release dates and making sure inmates are complying with court-ordered restitution and all that stuff prior to release. And they're also, they also coordinate the education requirements and, and some of that stuff. But on evening shift, there's no one in those. Or there might be one... Uh, one counselor that works late so the inmates that work during the day have access to them but in this particular case no one was working in the in the center office and I had gotten moved to one housing unit and and a friend of mine John was in the other side of that housing unit and we were connected by this this hallway now there were security doors and security glass on both ends of that hallway to make sure that if there was something happened in one side you wouldn't have overflow in other words the inmates from one side couldn't join in in the melee depending on what was going on 
And we had talked about keeping those doors locked, which I, I required when I worked a housing unit because that's the only safety I have. If something happens and I need to get behind that door, it doesn't do me any good if someone is on the other side that can get to me. So we had talked about that, and uh, but the day didn't really start out that well for me. Normally, I'm a pretty easy guy to get along with, um, even with the inmate population. I was pretty easy to get along with. It wasn't a real asshole. But I do the count. Four o'clock count is a stand-up count, which means one time a day at four o'clock, every inmate in the institution has to be standing on their feet when they're counted. And for obvious reasons, what this does is this eliminates the uh, issue of a weekend at Bernie situation where an inmate has died and no one has picked up on the fact that he's died in his cell. Or the other thing is, is it creates a situation where you can see that if there's a dummy, because maybe someone has escaped or hid someplace else with uh, not such good intentions, they put a dummy under a blanket. You count that dummy. Well, if they're standing up, you can't. I mean, a dummy's not going to stand up, which it's good. It's a good policy. But, you know, I'm the new officer. And of course, there's always someone who's going to test me. And I wasn't three, I wasn't three or four cells into my count at four o'clock. And I'm in a debate with this guy about standing up. And, of course, he's got all kinds of reasons, like he's standing up, his foot's on the floor, he's got all kinds of crap he's telling me. And I just tell him, I, I finally convinced him that he's going to stand up or we're going to have problems. But I also advised him that after count, he needed to come and see me. And sure enough, we got the count cleared about 4.30, and here he comes. And, of course, we have a lengthy conversation about what his responsibilities are and what I expect. And being a new officer, of course, he was going to challenge that. But... By the end of the conversation, I mean, him and his buddies were pissed off at me. Not exactly the best way to start your shift in a new housing unit. Because even if inmates don't really have a dog or a dog in that fight, they almost feel obligated because of the crew they run with to, you know, support their buddy, even if their buddy was being a dumbass. So that's how it starts. And then, of course... Part of my job is to shake down, to look for illegal contraband, to look for weapons, to look for homemade alcohol. And, and I wasn't, it was about, I guess I was probably on shift about after counter cleared, about 15 minutes, I found five quarts of wine. And of course, I make this big ass deal about this wine. I don't, I'm not subtle. I'm kind of arrogant, kind of cocky. You know, I was like, what, 32, 33. I was in the best shape of my life, you know, and I'm working in a prison. You know, I got that attitude a little bit and I'm making a big deal about this wine which I didn't really think about until later on. I mean, but that was probably would have been my demise had I not been a little quicker on my feet. So I get this wine and, and I go over to the, the housing unit next to me, my friend John, and he's working the housing unit. I go over to show him where I found the wine at. And it was in a, behind a light. There's lights in the shower stalls. There's like four shower bays at the end of each corridor or each hallway in the corner of the housing unit and you pull those lights out and that's where the wine was. So I went over to show him this, where this hiding place was. Cause you know, he, maybe he'd find some wine too. And as we're standing there talking an inmate kind of walks out of the shower and as he walks by, he says, get help on the rec yard. And then he just kept walking. And I looked at John, he looked at me and I didn't have a chance to turn around and the radio blows up. You know, staff needs assistance on the rec yard, fight on the rec yard. And it's multiple calls for assistance. Okay. So I had discussed with Johnny what I was going to do as far as my plan for staying safe in case things got crazy. And so I get back to my side of the housing unit and I reassured John I'd keep my door locked so he'd have a safe place to go if he had to get between the two housing units until help could arrive if things got nuts. And I went back to my side and, and things are getting crazy. I mean, within a half hour, you can see the windows just breaking out of the rec yard and there's, the radio is going crazy. And, and I mean, this is new to me. I've never been in a riot like this before. 
And so I'm I'm thinking, and I'm a planner because I was I I, I experienced with martial arts and uh, self defense. I was a self defense instructor at the sheriff's department before I moved to the feds, and so I've got all this uh, tactical awareness stuff going on, and I'm strategizing about what my safe havens are. And now, what was ridiculous about this is that there was a point when I thought that I was going to go ahead and put my lunchbox in my safe haven just in case. Now. If I had really thought that I was needed my lunchbox and my safe haven because I thought shit was going to get that bad, what I should have done was just walked out of the housing unit, locked the outer door, and went to the lieutenant's office. Because, I mean, but that's that that's that dedication to do that commitment to duty. So, my strategy was if I got in trouble, what I would do is I would I would go to the utility closet. There was an access door that was about three foot by three foot wide in the in the uh, cleaning utility room or closet. And if you open it up, it'll get you down under the housing unit. Well, I had a key to that door because I had checked when I first went to work at the federal prison. So I'm standing there at the desk and I hear this. I mean, things are going crazy. I've let a couple bloody inmates in and, and, and just told them to stay in cells, pick a cell and stay in it until we can get this thing all resolved. And I hear this garbled radio announcement. And I couldn't understand what it was. It seemed really urgent and important. So I pick up the phone and I call the control room. Now, just so you can picture this, the uh, the control the, the desk that we're at in these housing units was a horseshoe-style desk that sat out right in the middle of the floor. And you could see the entire housing unit except for the, the cells right behind you. And you have a straight line of sight to the front door. So I'm sitting at this desk and I call the control room and I say, hey guys, what was that announcement? And I heard a gasp. And the officer on the other side of the, on the other, on the line said, hide. That she just screamed at hide. And I, I'll never forget her. She screamed hide. And I looked up and there was about 40 inmates in the Sally port to my housing unit. Now there was a secure door on the outside and what I thought was security glass on the inside but the second door wasn't security glass. It was just tempered glass. Well, I have to run towards these guys to get to that utility closet so I can get under the housing unit. And as I jump over the desk and I run down those two stairs and I'm running straight towards them, they throw a fire extinguisher right through the glass door. The glass shatters, so now I've got glass all over the place, which is slick and hell on a polished floor. The fire extinguisher almost trips me Halfway down this sprint, my my big flashlight goes spinning out of control down the hallway ahead of me. I get to this utility closet, get inside it, get my key in the door to this little hatch that's going to let me underneath the housing unit. Jump over the wall, get in that shut get 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 in that uh, little safe space, pull the door shut. I can't see to put my key back in. And my heart just stops because I know there is going to be 40 or 50 inmates piled into that utility room just wanting to kill me. They're going to rip me apart. I open the door, stab my key in the lock, shut the door, get it locked. And I happen to always carry a secondary flashlight. It's a little mini mag, you know, you've seen them. And uh, mechanics and HVAC guys a lot and, and some cops carry them. But I had a mini mag. I turned it on and thank God the batteries were working. Well, this I was on a ledge, and there's just a hole there. You drop down. Well, I dropped down in that hole. It was about a three-foot drop. I dropped down in that hole, and I'll never forget that dry, almost baby powder dirt just engulfing me. It just was like an explosion. And so I'm trying to get acclimated to where I'm at. And basically, the way those housing units were built, they're just pre-stressed concrete 
girders that are set on uh, foundation walls. And then they pour a slab of concrete over them and do all the security stuff they do to them. But so the height of the ceiling varies, but it's about it's about four feet high, three and a half feet high. So I'm kind of crawling through them, trying to figure out what's going on. And at that time, every sound I hear are inmates trying to kill me. I mean, I'm the I know that I'm the focus of their attention. The reason that that noise is happening is because they're going to get me. And I keep I can hear this noise, and I'm running from it, and I'm trying to get as far away from it, but. At one point, I start getting closer to it. It starts getting louder, but I just it doesn't make any sense to me. And I start moving, and I can hear it coming from through this hole. I can really hear this noise echoing. And I look into this hole, and I kind of look up. And it's the utility chimney that goes from the basement or the crawl space of this housing unit to the attic. And what, what really scared me, I mean, my, my heart dropped, is I can see the compressor to the drinking fountain that's in the corner of the hallway there inside the housing unit. Now that's, the compressor isn't the problem, but there's only two little screws holding the grill on to access that compressor. And if they take that compressor out of the drinking fountain, they can come down that chimney to right where I'm at. And that scared the hell out of me. So I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Well, right across from this opening is a it's a little hole, about three foot in diameter. I look in there, and it's just like a dead-end corner triangular room where the foundation walls have come together. I'm like, well, they, they can't be that big to come and get me, so I figure if, if I go in there and someone comes in after me, they're going to be about my size, and they're going to have to come in head first or feet first, and I can win that fight. So I get myself all positioned, and I back my back against the wall, and, and I'm shining my light, and the hole is now to my left side, and I'm just sitting there just praying. And I hear my buddy call me on the radio. It was Johnny. And he asked me, he goes, hey, hey, Chris, did you make it? And I said, yeah, Johnny, I made it. He goes, what about you? I told him, I said, what about you? He says, no, I didn't make it. He goes, I'm in the sally port between the two housing units and they're beating the hell out of the glass. Now, granted, it's four hour glass. And with a 45 pound weight bar, it's still going to take you a little while to pound through it. But they were pretty energetic about getting to Johnny. So I didn't know for sure if he was going to make it or not. And I'm just I mean, my world is coming to an end right there. I'm thinking about all kinds of things. It's crazy how that stuff goes. But So I keep hearing this noise, and, and, and Johnny's updating me every so often, and then he kind of goes quiet, and then I hear this god-awful noise. I mean, more noise than I'd ever heard, and I am sure this is it. And a few minutes later, I hear, I hear my friend Johnny on the radio again. He goes, uh, hey, Chris. He goes, it's okay. You can come on up. I'm like... Johnny, what's up? What's happened? He goes, oh, the team's in here. You can come up. And he's referring to this defensive or the this emergency response team. The team is back in the housing unit. That's what he's saying. But I don't know that. I'm down in a housing unit. I'm 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 breathing dirt right now. I don't have. I, I don't believe that. So I asked him. I says, who who's who's running the team, John? Uh, and he says, uh, Lieutenant Martinez. I said, well, let me talk to him. He said, well, he's running the team. I said, well, then I'll wait. So I think I sat, I sat down in that dirt for, I, I don't know, it seemed like an eternity. <laughs> but I think it was about another hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours, because they had to take the entire institution back. And once they took the unit I was in back and everything was secured, even if I wasn't going to come up, I wasn't hurt, right? So eventually I hear the familiar voice of Lieutenant Martinez, and he had a heavy, a heavy accent. And I, it just, it was distinguishable. And he tells me, he goes, hey, Akez, come on up, man. We got this thing, all right? And I'm like, So I gather all my stuff up, my keys and all that, and and I head out. And I come out of that hole, 
and a new lieutenant. He was a nine lieutenant. He was his first year as a lieutenant. He he meets me kind of at the door and he yells at me. What he says? What the hell are you doing in here without gear? He did not realize that I was actually hiding under the housing unit to save my ass from the inmates. But so you, I'm running out of the housing unit and and this hallway I'm running down from this utility closet. It ends. And it turns 90 degrees to the left, and you've got to go out the front door. And then, of course, it's a 200-yard sprint to the to the main compound doors, and then you're behind the secured perimeter. But I remember hauling ass down that corridor, and I tried to make that turn, but there was all that broken glass, and my feet slipped out from under me. And what was funny was it was almost like a cartoon, because I'm sliding towards that wall, and my feet are still going as fast as ever. And... There were black marks on the wall where my feet were hitting that wall as I was trying to run, but I'm on my side, okay? I jump up, I get out that housing unit, and I haul ass through the compound doors. It was the most traumatic event of my life. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, I mean, I I was scared to death, and all kinds of things come go across uh, go go in, go across your mind when you're when you're in that position. I'd never been in that position before. But needless to say, I survived, and that was my Friday. So I had two days off, and me and my wife spent a lot of time talking about our future, and I have to say, they almost beat me. I almost didn't come back until my wife reminded me how hard I had worked to get that job, how hard I had worked to escape my career as a construction worker, how hard I had worked to provide a way to to uh, to support my family and to to live a comfortable life. And I guess if there, I mean, of course, there's probably got to be a message in here somewhere. And I guess if there was a message in this that pertains to where we're at right now, it would have to be that you know, you even if you're scared, you have to face it. You can't, you can't let your fears dictate what it is you will do. Um, now, does that mean you jump into a fire? Does that mean you uh, play with dynamite? No. Um, you calculate your risk and you do everything you can to offset that risk to stay safe because that is the foundation of survival. And, and if you think that anyone who's ever been in that situation is not scared, if you think, being afraid is some sort of weakness or some sort of taboo for us tough guys. No, it's not. The guy that scares me is the guy that isn't afraid. So be afraid of what's coming with regard to your life in general, with regard to COVID-19 and this new world we're living in right now. But don't let it stop you from being who you need to be and don't let it stop you from from doing what you need need to do to survive. Does that mean that you need to go out and swap gum with everyone you see because you're a rebel and you think the government is telling you what to do? Obviously not. But we have to find a way to adapt and overcome. And we cannot let our fear get in the way of our thinking. We can't let our fear get in the way of good, sound judgment and good, sound principles. I, I fully believe that. And this is not to say that because I put this podcast out that you have the right to run out and go do whatever you want and risk or engage everyone you want and disregard the rules. Because we can do this safely and we need to do it safely, not only for yourself, but for the people you love. So. I don't know. Prison is an interesting place. It's not nearly what uh, most people um, think it is. And 
in spite of what the media and the uh, movies and TV have portrayed, not everybody in prison are bad people. In fact, a lot of the people in prison are good people who just simply made bad choices. And I learned a lot from those people. I've learned a lot about me. I've learned a lot about life. And I've learned a lot about what's important. So I think I've probably ran this one long enough. So, hey, listen, guys, just so you know, um, I have I do have the uh, this on YouTube, on my chrishawkes.com YouTube channel. Uh, if you want to sit and watch me talk rather than listen to me. Um, my social media page is is open to the public. I have a group called Real People, which is a nice place to post some of the stuff that you you go through yourself. Um, but all I can say is, you know what, we we are going to make the best of this, and those people who do make the best of this are the ones that are going to come out on top. And 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 we're in it together. And if we grow together and we work together, we can actually get to where we need to be safely. So until next time, listen, guys, I'm going to just keep rolling at this um, because this is what I do uh, and I do it for you. So as always, just remember today's your day. Make it a good one.